0: You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. For close to five months now, we have been walking through the ancient stories, following the long narrative arc of the foundations of Israel, as told in Genesis, Exodus, and now, very briefly, Deuteronomy. We began this journey on June 14th with a story introducing Abraham and Sarah, we traveled with them and then with Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel and Leah, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And along the way we bumped into Hagar and Ishmael, the Egyptian pharaoh and his daughter, the Egyptian midwives, Shipra and Pruah, and a whole host of other characters, But all along we kept telling stories of the places where God just was, as Rachel put it in her sermon last week. Tonight we bring the long arc of stories to a completion, as we bear witness to the death of Moses on the top of Mount Nebo, gazing across to the land of promise. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, the text says. That's a sensibility still very much maintained in Judaism. After his initial anxious protests, don't send me to the Pharaoh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. Moses has advocated for the people. He's led them through thick and thin He's argued with God on their behalf. He's taught them. He's resolved their disputes as a judge. He's occasionally lost his temper at them. And ultimately, he has been that transformational leader who could shepherd them through their 40 years of wilderness wanderings to the very banks of the Jordan River, but he would go no further. Now this might strike you as being terribly unfair, as it has struck many commentators, both Jewish and Christian, for centuries. The reason Moses is prohibited from leading the people across into this land of promise goes back to an incident much earlier in the story at a place called Meribah, The people were once again crying out in protest that he'd only brought them out there to die. In this instance, it is because they lack water. So God instructs Moses to call water out from a rock. But instead of just calling it out with his voice, Moses took his staff, struck the rock twice, Here's how it reads in the book of Numbers. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. The water came out abundantly. The congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Well, as Catherine Schifferdecker notes, Most commentators who try to solve the puzzle note that Moses strikes the rock twice instead of speaking to it, as God had commanded. And he says, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water out for you from this rock? Perhaps thereby claiming to be the source of the miracle rather than giving credit to God. So... Is it that Moses lost temper? An angry bravado gave an impression that it was he who brought out water rather than the holiness of God? That was enough of a transgression to prevent both he and Aaron from finishing the long journey into the land of promise? Can just one stumble like this override decades Decades of faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I find that a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Yet there may be another way of looking at it all, a way marked by a kind of grace. Moses has lived and labored long for the people, and it might just be that he needs to let his mantle be passed on to Joshua for the next chapter in Israel's unfolding story. Look out over the land, Moses, the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and in which the people will make a home Joshua will lead them now, Moses. You can die now. You can rest in peace. Your work is done. This is no longer yours to carry, Moses. You can't do everything, dear one. Now rest. That's not unlike the message King David will later receive when he's begun to dream of building a temple in his newly established royal city of Jerusalem. The prophet Nathan comes to David with a word, saying that no, the temple was not David's to build. That work would fall to one of his sons. It's not yours to do, David. You can't do everything. It is at once a release and a reminder. For Moses, a release from carrying the burden further into his old age. And a reminder that God's people always transcend, are always bigger than any one leader. That God's work is always done using many hands. The work must be shared. The mantle has to be passed, and that's actually good news. Trust this, Moses, and die in peace. Joshua will lead well because he's seen you lead so well. The story in which you have played such a key role will be told and retold by the people of God For generation after generation after generation. And in telling it, they will extend it in new and sometimes surprising ways. See, that's why these ancient stories are told. For close to five months, we've been telling this arc of the stories. We tell them so that we can see glimpses of ourselves in them, so that we can learn from them and have our imaginations enlarged for new and sometimes surprising things. On April 3rd, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered the final speech of his life. Now, though delivered as a speech to striking sanitation workers in that city, not as a sermon to a church congregation, Dr. King could never not preach. And as he brought his address to a close, he spoke these words. He said, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. Here King is consciously referencing Mount Nebo the place where Moses looked out and then died. I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, At 6.01 p.m., on the walkway in front of his room at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, King was shot by an assassin. Having evoked and extended and improvised upon the biblical story of the exodus from enslavement, the long journey into a new and promised land, King lay dying. According to the biographer Taylor Branch, Martin Luther King's last words, his dying words, were spoken to the musician Ben Branch, who was scheduled to perform that night at another planned event. Ben, King said, Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight play it real pretty. It's the last thing he said. Now, I don't believe for a moment that God willed or desired the death of Martin Luther King, Jr., a death which actually stands as one of the great atrocities of that period, that a man who had stood as the great proponent of peaceful change would die by an assassin's bullet. But I am so moved by King's own awareness of his place in a story much bigger than his own, a story that inspired him to preach, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land as a people. Just as Moses' mantle was passed to Joshua, King's mantle of leadership was passed on to people like Ralph Abernathy and Jesse Jackson, who were beside him at the motel that day as he was killed. And then on to folks like John Lewis, who recently died. was known as the conscience of the U.S. Congress, and to the Reverend Dr. William Barber, whose voice rings in our own day with such stunning clarity. These are all people soaked in these ancient stories. And That's a big part of why they had the courage and the consciences to do and be what God called out of them. That's why we have spent five months exploring these stories. We are, as a church, a story-formed people. It is stories such as these ones that will tell us the sometimes hard truths about ourselves, our brokenness and our fallibility, and then enlarge our imaginations To live into what we were created to be, a people on the move and a people made in the image of God. It has been a delight and honor for both Rachel and I to walk this long narrative arc with you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at saintbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.